A professor at a prestigious university once wrote to me and said, I teach the Simpsons in my poli-sci class. Would you address my students? I've attached my notes to prepare you. I wrote back, I'd love to address your class, but I'll have to say that everything you're teaching them is wrong. He sent back a two-word reply, Don't come, which is the first time I'd heard that from a man. But since then, I've been asked to speak on The Simpsons all over the world. I have a lecture that's filled with stories, film clips, and me taking credit for other people's jokes. It's called The Simpsons Backstage Tour. That's one of those jokes no one gets. There is no backstage at an animated show. <laughs> oh, God, I suck. I've given the speech in 36 U.S. states and 22 foreign countries. It's given me a lot of great travel stories, enough to fill two episodes of this podcast. Many of them first appeared in my 2017 Simpsons memoir, Springfield Confidential. So let's consider these episodes an ad for that book, and not what it really is. A lazy case of blatant copyright infringement. Today I'll be telling Simpsons stories from my American travel, starting with my lecture at the University of Maryland. When I was there, I met their professor of humor studies. That is a real thing. He expounded on his philosophy of what made The Simpsons funny. As he nattered on, I thought, if I were to sculpt a man out of pure shit, that man would not be as full of shit as this professor. There are even schools that teach whole courses in The Simpsons, and I think that is a very good sign of the apocalypse. Worst of all, these professors never backed down. They attended a Slovakian animation festival where the grand prize winner was a student film called Pandas. The young director said in his acceptance speech, My teacher gave me a C plus on this. I met his teacher and told her that Pandas was the greatest cartoon I'd ever seen in my life. Epic in scale and filled with brilliant jokes. The teacher stood her ground saying, I should have given him a C minus. Even if I don't love the professors, the students are always way cool. They never ask a bunch of geeky, trivial questions. Except for this one. In season four, Mo said he had small ears. And in season eight, he said he had big ears. How can this be? One thing I learned is that what you say on campus does not stay on campus. I gave a speech at North Dakota State University in Fargo. <laughs> Jealous? That night, I got an angry call from the president of Fox who said, You can't go around North Dakota badmouthing the network. I said, I don't think I badmouthed it. You compared the Fox network to a sewer. I replied, Not in a bad way. The biggest college crowd I ever had was 2,000 people at Florida State University. They hired five bodyguards to protect me, three uniformed, two undercover. I told them I'd never needed a bodyguard in my life. They admitted, Well, we had Gorbachev speak here last week, and we still had the bodyguards on payroll. That night during my talk, a nut rushed the stage to pitch me some episode ideas. I called for the bodyguards, but no one came. They were all smoking in the alley. Other than this, college crowds are surprisingly well-behaved. Frat boys in the South are always polite. It's when I address business conferences that the audiences are out of control. These executives are drunk out of their minds and they love to heckle. And they're not even good at it. One guy just kept yelling, ANIMAL HOUSE throughout my lecture. <laughs> what? Why? These are the people who are handling your pension fund. 
I have a special speech that focuses on Judaism in the series called The Simpsons and Other Jewish Families. I've given it at dozens of synagogues, Jewish film festivals, and charity events all over the world. The toughest act I ever had to follow was at a Jewish fundraiser in Toronto. They opened by showing a film featuring newsreel footage of the Holocaust and terrorism in Israel. Then they went to a picture of Anne Frank and the quote, Hope is a dying ember in our world. The movie ended, the lights came up, and everyone was crying. Even my wife was crying. And then the rabbi said, And now the comedy of Mike Reese! Of course, there is nothing funny about Anne Frank. Except this old joke. Kristen Stewart was so bad in a production of Diary of Anne Frank that when the Nazis arrived, the audience yelled, She's in the attic! The best audience I ever had was at another Jewish event, the New Hampshire Jewish Film Festival. My audience consisted of every Jewish senior citizen in Manchester, New Hampshire. These people had clearly never seen The Simpsons since they were circulating a cheat sheet one of their grandsons had made. It featured such facts as Homer Simpson works in a barber shop. This is wrong, I told one elderly Shebrew. She replied, My grandson is never wrong. I expected a disaster, and yet this was the sharpest group I ever had. They laughed at every joke, often before I finished it. Sometimes they yelled out toppers to my punchlines. There must be something in the water in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's a tiny, tiny Jewish community, but three of them are Seth Meyers, Adam Sandler, and Sarah Silverman. Believe me, not all my lectures go that well. I gave the commencement address at a girls' school in South Carolina. There were 700 people in the audience. I could hear 500 people laughing. What I couldn't hear was the other 200 people silently hating my guts. When the speech ended, I was ready to take a victory lap until a phalanx of student security guards surrounded me. We have to get you out of here, one guard whispered. There are people in this audience who want to kill you. And they weren't kidding. This was the Deep South, where people carry guns in the shower. That's a joke, of course. They don't shower. So what had I done to make them so mad? I'd made a joke about then-President George W. Bush. I called him Satan with a learning disorder. Now, I could see that being offensive if you had a learning disorder, or were Satan. But this was 2008. The U.S. economy had just collapsed, and Bush's approval rating stood at 9%. But I guess all 9% were sitting in my audience. I had a realization after my South Carolina speech. A sense of humor isn't the ability to laugh at other people, it's the ability to laugh at yourself. I tried to explain this to a disgruntled audience member at another lecture, where I told the true story about a children's book I wrote being banned in Texas. A woman accosted me after the show and said, I'm from Texas and I don't appreciate your making fun of it. I replied, I also made jokes about Jews, homosexuals, Arkansas, pedophilia, Woody Allen, the French, and myself. Did you have any problems with those? No, those were fine. So any joke is okay as long as it's not about you. Mr. Rice, she said, mispronouncing my name. You don't burn brighter by blowing out someone else's candle. <laughs> well, you kinda do. This reminds me of a great old joke. A guy in a bar says, you know the joke about the big dumb Texan? And the huge bouncer says, I'm from Texas. And the guy says, all right, I'll tell it slowly. All of which brings me to the, the worst, worst lecture, lecture ever. ever. This was at a dumb college. It doesn't matter which one. It was 
and Arkansas State University. My plane arrived in Mississippi. The closest airport wasn't even in the same state. My host introduced himself as Professor Eisenberg from New Jersey. What's a nice Jewish guy from Jersey doing teaching in Arkansas, I asked. He sighed rabbinically. <sighs> Sometimes you take the hand life deals you. He went silent for the next two hours of the drive. When we arrived at the campus, the lecture hall was filling up nicely. A young student said, I can't believe so many people showed up on a Wednesday. What happens on Wednesday, I asked. Church night. She snapped contemptuously. Then she asked if I needed anything. Just some water, I said. It's the one demand in my contract, a glass of water. She rolled her eyes like I was the queen of the divas and sulked off. She returned with a bottle of water and slammed it on my lectern. I went into my speech and didn't get one laugh. My mouth went dry, so I opened my bottle of water. It was frozen solid. It was ice, and so was my audience. Even when my speech goes badly, I can usually redeem myself with the Q&A. It's the liveliest part of my presentation. Any questions, I asked? None. These Arkansas students apparently knew everything about animation, TV production, and comedy. They shuffled out grimly, clearly thinking, I miss church night for this. After the speech, Professor Eisenberg took me to a restaurant with his two young sons. And then he vanished for a couple of hours, leaving me with his kids. Clearly, since I'd failed as a speaker, he decided to use me as a babysitter. Occasionally, when I tell this story, someone says, I'm from Arkansas, and we don't act like that. I tell them this was Jonesboro, Arkansas. They reply, Oh, never mind. In our next episode, I'll tell you how The Simpsons brought me all over the world with stories from China, Japan, Rio, Iran, and Qatar. But first, one last American tale about how Homer Simpson brought me somewhere I didn't want to go at all. Every Christmas, The Simpsons producers give the staff a gift. Past examples include a skateboard with Bart's picture on it, a yellow bowling ball with Homer's name on it, a crystal ice bucket with Moe's picture etched on it. Moe's picture actually decreases its collectible value. A lot of thought and a lot of time go into these presents. So much so that the staff Christmas gift sometimes comes in January, or July, or not at all. Still, these gifts are always appreciated by the writers and the cleaning ladies they re-gift them to. In 2009, we all received a TomTom Tom GPS that spoke in Homer's voice. This was a great gift, especially in those days before Waze and other phone apps. Dan Castellaneta spent four days in a recording studio, recording Homerish directions. Ooh, ooh. Right turn ahead! Mm. Uh, no. Celebrity cartoon voice impersonated. Every journey ended with, You have reached your destination and can hold your head up high knowing you are a person of great accomplishment. It was very entertaining for the first few trips. After a while, those jokes get on your nerves, said Mike Price, the Simpsons guy who wrote those jokes. Still, I stuck with the Homer GPS, unaware that I could change the voice to blandly soothing English lady. I put Homer to the test on a road trip to the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. The GPS brought me to a scruffy, revolution-era home. When I walked in, the tour guide seemed genuinely shocked to see a customer, saying, Nobody ever comes here. I told him, I've heard the Peabody Essex is one of the great art museums of New England. 
The guide said, This isn't the Peabody Essex Museum. It's the George Peabody House Museum. You're not even in the right town. I felt like a fool, taking my driving directions from the stupidest man in cartoon history. Just then, the museum's phone rang. Something else that rarely happened around there. The guide listened for a while, then turned to me. It's the local paper. It's a slow news day, and they're looking for a story. Are you anybody? Kind of, I said. I'm a writer for The Simpsons. In fact, I was directed here by a Homer Simpson GPS. Holy cow, what a story! He exclaimed, as if I were the Lindbergh baby, all grown up and had shown up with my wife, Amelia Earhart. Minutes later, a car screeched up in front of the museum and a reporter raced in. This was the most excitement the George Peabody house had seen since George Peabody died. The reporter breathlessly interviewed us all, took our pictures, and roared away. Shortly after, my wife and I got directions, written directions, and a map to the real Peabody Essex Museum. It was as great as promised. The next day, I was walking through downtown Peabody when a passing driver yelled out the window, Hey, Homer Simpson, you're a pisser! Who was this guy? How did he know me? And why was I a pisser? I spotted a newspaper box on the corner. Under a banner headline was the top story, the top story in the local paper. Worst GPS ever gets Simpson's writer to Peabody. There was also a huge color photo of my wife and me. We would not merit a photo this huge if she had ridden me to victory in the Kentucky Derby. It really had been a slow news day. When I got home, I gave the Homer Simpson GPS to my cleaning lady. She doesn't have a car or speak English, but she seems to enjoy it. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring Jaden Liebren as the Homer Simpson GPS. Additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman.